Hey, welcome back to the Sunday Recap. I'm Mitch Green. This week is a special week on the Sunday Recap. Um, Ariel Eldridge is out of town, which is a big bummer. You all can boo now if you'd like for that. Boo. But we have one of our favorite guests joining us today, Luke Calvert. And Luke, how are you? I'm doing well, well but before you say that, you can all cheer now. Yay! Yay! Is that how that's supposed to go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, no, uh, sad Ariel's not here, but... I- pumped to jump on on here and last time i got to join the podcast we got we got going and i got questioned king and so, so luke, i'm gonna try people, not to do that luke, but the people rave about you oh yeah hey. i bet so the yeah. week after you were on i i went out and i said you know i said you know guys i'm sorry i'm back you know and everybody came up to me and they're like mitch we love you. Glad you're still on. But they said Luke was really, really good too. <laughs> yeah. So there was this piece they had to keep on that made me say, you know, I I don't know if that actually happened because I don't believe it actually well, it did. did. <laughs> it, it did. Luke. But here we are. And then yeah. we're with Christopher. Yep. So Chris, you you just preached this sermon. Yeah. So I, what we were saying before, this is every preacher's dream. You get more time to talk about your sermon. Unpack all the things that yeah. I couldn't say in yeah. the sermon. Yeah, this yeah. is the debrief, but it actually is recorded. Yeah. This either could be a good reminder because you're preaching again this week. Right. How, have you preached back-to-back weeks here before? Never. Yeah, never done that before And you're here. doing four. And we're going to do all four weeks. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really excited about it. So – I mean, just a little background, you know, Scott was going to have his sabbatical this year and, and that had to get postponed because of COVID. So my plan was I wanted to uh, take a, a chunk of that time so that he could have some time away. Um, but he just asked, hey, can we move that later so that once we get to a place where things are a little bit more normal, I can still mm-hmm. have a little break? I'm like, absolutely, man, like w- whenever you want. Yeah. So I remember asking Chris last week, I was like, hey, man, are you are you like getting nervous or antsy about doing it four weeks in a row. He goes, I don't know. Ask me next week. (laughs) (laughs) So here we are. So here we are, but you're feeling good about it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was, it was, it was really, this last week was, I think really fun. I, I really enjoy, and I, I I enjoy teaching through narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, this book is fantastic and there's so much in there to dig into. So it's just, um, it's just a joy to get. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking about that on the way in how, you know, working through the book of Ruth, in this way, it really feels like it's like story time is a bad way to put it. Yeah. But it's like, no, we get to like read this story together that yeah, a lot right. of people probably aren't familiar with all the details. So yeah. it's like we get to sit there and watch it unfold. And so I even found myself as, we were, as I was thinking about the podcast, like, don't talk about things in chapter two. <laughs> like, don't talk about them yet. Like, let's leave people with it, you yeah. know, so that next week we can talk about We can give them a little do. cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. And that's, <laughs> that's the cool thing about Scripture, though, right? It's like the Scriptures uh, really just lead us to these points, right? Yeah. We don't have to create anything. We don't have to absolutely. mock up anything that, that the Scripture provides that, and that's why it's, that's why it's oh, so good. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the thing about preaching in general is we want to let the Bible do the, the teaching, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, and try to, as much as we can, get out of the way. Yeah. Um, I think... No one, no one cares about what I think yeah. <laughs> about yeah. anything. <laughs> so, I care what you think, Chris. Oh, <laughs> no. It's too nice. Yeah. yeah. So, so for those of you guys who you have been listening um, to the podcast, this is going to feel a little bit different today because usually Chris is the driver. He's the one that keeps us on task, and I'm the one that takes us off task. So I'm going to try really hard to be the one that keeps us on task. So we're going to be like just digging through chapter one of Ruth today. We're going to read probably most of it. But what we really want to do is we want to pull out the things in the text that we didn't have time to talk about yesterday, Mm -hmm. um, just with a little bit more detail. So Luke, would you be willing to just read it off the top? In the days when the judge ruled, there was a famine in the land. 
And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn on the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of, of his, this man was Elimelech. Is that, am I saying that right? Yeah. Okay. Elimelech. I mean, I can't figure it out. Elimelech. There we go. And name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of the two sons were Ma- Malon and Shilion. They were, Ephra- oh my goodness, what's that word? <laughs> Ephrathites. Ephrathites. This is why we're doing the <laughs> this podcast. This is the real struggle. Right here. This is the Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. Yep. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took, Mo- these took Moabite wives. The name of, of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and... Both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Yeah, this is like when we need to use the cheer, the little cheer sound in the board, because that was a lot of effort to <laughs> just was, read through that, that, that one. That was absolutely tough. I will tell you that right now. I yeah. got Chilion, Melion, and Helion. You know what I mean? I'm a good night. <laughs> so, so, Chris, the first thing I think about when we're reading through this passage, I mean, the very beginning, it says, in the days when the judges ruled. Right. And you talked about a little bit, and when I mean a little bit, like one sentence, <laughs> one sentence. <laughs> about you know how this um, situation that they found themselves in mm-hmm. is due to God's um, discipline. Yeah. So that all ties back into this sentence. Yeah. Well, okay. So you just have to have a little bit of background on what the book of Judges is about, right? Mm-hmm. So the book of Judges is a period of time in the history of Israel. Um, so this is right after... Uh, if, if, if you think of the timeline, you know, um, God has brought the Hebrew people out of the land of Egypt that when they were in slavery, they mm-hmm. went through the Red Sea, right? We know that whole, the Exodus story. Um, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Moses dies before they enter the land. And once Moses dies, then Joshua takes over and Joshua, uh, as the leader of the Israelites, leads them in battle to conquer the promised land, the land of Canaan. Once they have the land of Canaan, which they don't conquer all of it because they're supposed to, but they don't, um, at that point, Joshua dies, and then they enter into this time of the judges. Mm. And the judges, um, that period of time is is really interesting because essentially what God is trying to do is say, look, I'm your king, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, I'm supposed to be your king and I'm going to rule and govern through my law. Mm. But but the problem is is that the people just rebel uh, over and over again. And we see this cycle that happens in the book of Judges, and it happens seven times. It's it's um, uh, so, so basically, it's it starts out with sin. People mm-hmm. people sin, then uh, they get put under subjugation. So there's there's typically um, some foreign king that comes in and like just yeah. you know destroys them yeah. and and then puts them into some sort of slavery. Um, sometimes there's even a famine that's then accompanied with that. Then they, the people cry out to God. Then after they cry to God, God will send a deliverer who's the judge, right? Mm-hmm. So, and we know some of these judges. That's like Gideon, Samson, you know, guys like that. Um, and then after the judge comes, the judge will deliver them and free them, and then they'll there there, there will be a time of rest yeah. in the land. So that that cycle happens a number of times in the book of Judges. So what we see here is is just a little setup that that there's this 
Uh, it's during the time of the judges. There's a famine in the land, so it's probably because of the sin of the people Absolutely. that's going on. And, and this is probably later in the time of the judges because this lasted like 350 years. Mm-hmm. So it's probably a little bit later in that time. So, yeah, yeah, when I think about judges, I think about one of the inter- the opening verses. In those days, they did what they thought was right in their own eyes. Yes, and yes. look at the result of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's the, just just stories that you. These are the stories that people often say, like, "How is that in the Bible?" You know, but yeah. it's like we actually have the wrong perspective about what's happening in that story. Yeah. You know, typically God is displaying what happens when man does not follow God's rule. Mm. Exactly. And we read it and we go, why would this be in here? And I mean, I remember when, you know, my wife and I were reading through it and that was like one of our main, her main questions was like, why is this in here? It's like, you got to take a step back. This is a picture of what the world looks like when man does what's right in his own eyes. Yes, um, exactly. And I, I think to kind of... F- focus in a little bit into now the Ruth story uh, and into chapter one, I think what's interesting is, like you're talking about, Mitch, this is the cultural moment that they're living in. And at the same time, not not just are they dealing with the judges and the famine and this is due, due to the sin of man. Mm-hmm. Well, now you have a death of a husband mm-hmm. left. And not, not only are you already in a tough situation, now you're in a tougher situation right. because there's actual, you know, repercussions to Naomi's life because she doesn't have, she now doesn't have a husband and she has two sons yeah. who are going to go off and marry and then. Right. Yeah, and and then, then they die too. And then they die as well. Yeah. So yeah. it's like. It's, it's, it's extreme tragedy. And, and what, what I think is so beautiful about just these first five verses that we read, um, the author has gone to great pains, I think, to to illustrate the um, the struggle that Naomi is experiencing. Just just a couple of quick things on this. I mean, if you, yeah. if you if you read the first five verses again, you you see what happens. Look at the way that Naomi's name disappears out of the text. By the time you get to verse five, she's no longer even called Naomi. She's called the woman. Um, she 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 just gets reduced down to this nameless figure by the end of verse five. Mm-hmm. I, I think another thing that's interesting too, which is with with names. Um, is just the irony that's presented, right? So like Elimelech, his name literally means uh, God is my king, mm. <laughs> okay? And yet he rejects God yeah. in the middle of it. Um, and and of course, Naomi, her name means pleasant, which she then uh, renounces that name mm-hmm. at the end of the chapter. So that's the first five verses of Ruth. I think that really helps give a good backdrop for that. Um, let's carry on and let's read verses six through 18. And maybe we'll pause in the middle here sure. if we find something interesting. So I'll read that. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you. As you have dealt with the dead and with me, the Lord grant you uh, grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. So let's let's stop yeah, right there. Yeah, just I for was a getting sec. ready for that. <laughs> so this this um, this speech from Naomi is is fascinating because you have two major blessings that she is pronouncing on these girls. Okay, uh, so the first is it says, "May the Lord deal kindly with you" in the ESV. But mm-hmm. that "deal kindly" is is actually this really beautiful Hebrew word, uh, "chesed," and mm-hmm. "chesed" is is really only used for God's covenant faithful mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so that, um, that is fascinating because here Naomi, who is a Hebrew, is proclaiming the, the covenant faithful love of God on two Moabite women, mm-hmm. people who are essentially the enemies of God, and saying, like, like you have dealt this way with me. You've been faithful to me, loving to me, loving with, with your husbands. Um, so may the Lord bless you in that way. What a shining light that is in the midst of the time of the judges. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when you have in that time of the judges where everything is just so awful, uh, there's just sin and subjugation and crying out to God, and yet here's these two Moabite women who should have been the enemies of God, and yet they're displaying this this covenant faithful love. And then Naomi's like, man, may God bless you in this. There's a little yeah. bit to me of like the the inclusion of the Gentiles into yeah. – into the promise here. Yeah. yeah, I was actually thinking about that. Like, I was thinking about, we, we throw around the term countercultural a lot, you know, like we're called to be countercultural as Christians, which is true. But in this moment, it's like, there are there are clear divides. There's, yeah. It's not like, well, I kind of like them, but I don't like them, so I should be nicer than them. No, like there's a clear divide between, you know, the Moabites, right, and how and, and what that meant for you as how you related to them, how you talk with them, how you, you know, they're supposed to be enemies of God. We're talking about that, those people, right? Right. There's a clear divide that's, that's, that's would be zero confusion. And this is still how they're responding. Well, how does that look like? I don't want to get too far ahead of us, yeah. but leading into the new Testament, right? That, that the Jews would have thought the same thing mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. these people are the enemy or they don't belong. They yeah. aren't, the, the Gentiles aren't welcomed. Right, and so uh, there, you, I, you do. You, you mentioned that, Chris. It does. We do see a little bit of that in where it's like she's acting out of character. Right. Uh, this isn't. This wouldn't be a normal response. Oh, absolutely. But but, but here she is, and and even the covenant language you talk about has said like she she's not just even saying like you know weak promises. Mm-hmm. There's a fascinating passage in Deuteronomy 23 where God actually in His law pronounces that 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 no Moabite may enter the assembly of the mm, Lord. Yeah. Okay, so check this out. He says, uh, this is Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. He says, no Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet with you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. So in other words, God's like, look, the Moabites have been your enemies, and so I'm cursing them, all right? Mm-hmm. But this is what I love about this, is that you, we, we see a reversal of Absolutely. that, that yeah. curse. Like God is, God has said, you know, no Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, and yet there's this pronouncement of blessing on these two Moabite women. Not to get too ahead of ourselves, but once we get to the fourth chapter, mm-hmm. we actually see how uh, this this curse gets completely lifted. And in fact, the greatest king of the history of Israel, King David, ends up coming from the line of Ruth only three generations later. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so God is, he is so merciful. Mm-hmm. He is so compassionate. And, and, and you can see that um, right here from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, so that, That's incredible. Yeah, that's really, really cool. So so she tells him to turn back and, and, and to head back. Yes. Um, there were some practical reasons for that too that you gave in your sermon. Again, um, what were those? Well, yeah. So it didn't make sense for it was not the sensible decision for them to go with yeah. her. Yeah. Um, if they went with her, they would not be able to marry again mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. they're going to a land 
in Israel where the law said that uh, a, a Hebrew man could not marry outside right. of Israel. And it's one thing for an Israelite to leave and to marry someone outside. I mean, they're in a different culture at that right. point and things like that. But when they come, when, when a Moabite woman comes in, no, Mo, no Israelite man is going to marry them. Right. Um, they would be ostracized from their culture. Mm-hmm. And so they're basically dooming themselves from uh, just, just to have a life of poverty. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. There, yeah. there would there would be no way out if they came with her. But it's Naomi, and, and and I think that we relate to this really well. Naomi, just I think it's so clear she can't live with herself because she loves with she loves Absolutely. these girls so much. She she just can't live with herself if her girls decide to come with her mm-hmm. because of their love for her. Yeah. Um, it just wrecks her. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so it's amazing. So she sends him out with this Lord's blessing, which mm-hmm. is which is really cool. I mean, just to think, even just to think about still remaining faithful to God in Moab. And, and you get this picture. You gave a really good description in your sermon talking about where Moab's at, you yeah. know. But to think that, okay, for her to hear about this, they're, they're not the only family that's in Moab. You know, they're right. not the only Israelite family that's there. There's other families there. So they hear that something's going on in Bethlehem. They're heading back. Um, and then she sends, you know, sends both the girls off. Orpa, you know, kind of kisses her goodbye and goes on her way. Mm-hmm. And then Ruth says this. She says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Mm-hmm. For where you go, I will go. For where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, uh, "She said no more." Mm-hmm. Again, what a powerful like that is. That is a commitment mm-hmm. um, that we don't see often from any person to any other person. Yeah. But it really reflects one character <laughs> throughout the Bible, um, and that's Christ. Yeah. You know, and that, and that's like when you read this passage. I don't know how knowing what we know, you can't see it through these goggles that say, you know, okay, in this in this part here, Ruth is displaying um, the character of Christ to Naomi. Yeah, um, of total utter commitment until the point of death. Right. You know what's funny is, um, as a younger Christian, when I when I read through the book of Ruth, I would often look at Ruth's statement here as the example for myself, like, yeah. like I, I would, I would want to find myself in the in character Ruth. of Ruth, mm-hmm. where like, okay, God, like, I'm gonna follow you where you go, I will go, you know, where you mm-hmm. go, I will go, where you lodge, I will lodge, mm-hmm. and, and you know, it's and, and, and almost like this. I'm gonna have this devotion to God, and um, I think it wasn't until recently that I realized that I had that backwards mm-hmm. the whole time. That I, I mean, I can. I can love God and I can be devoted to him and, and, and whatnot. But the thing is, is that my devotion to God just pales in comparison to his devotion mm. to me. Yeah. And I think that's what I was just so struck by um, in, in, in preparation for yeah. this message was how committed God is to us. Um, I mean, even, <laughs> I mean, we read like Ephesians 1, like even it says, it says from the foundations of the earth, um, that that he loved us, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 I'm like, 
what is that kind of love? Like that is, that is a love that goes beyond anything that I even can understand. So I, I can't put myself in the right. character of Ruth at all. Like, you well, know, yeah. and, 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 uh, and, and, and to even take that a step further, right? Like, like Ruth is choosing death to herself, if you will, of yeah. at least her passions, yeah. at least the things that anybody would have wanted, right. Mm-hmm. To remarry or to have any, anything like a, a normal life. And yet you speaking of pale in comparison, how we pale in comparison, Ruth's, Sacrifice pales in comparison to Christ. Yeah, and yep. that like it, that's it's 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 even that much better exactly. for what Christ did for us. Yes. This th- this act of where you go, I'll go; where you lie, I lie; where you die, I will die. Ruth is literally laying down her life for Ni- for Naomi's, and yet mm-hmm. it doesn't even compare. And it's impossible to do apart from Christ. I think I think that's the picture that we need to remind ourselves, even if we want to look at it as an example. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think just the promises and the commitments and the things that I've said in my life that are really only standing on my own doing, you know, and I've had to be reminded even within marriage, you know, you, I'm fully utterly committed to you. You know, I'm going to seek your happiness, you know, what, whatever you say. And then you find yourself in this spot where you're like, "Mm, I'm really mad at you right now. And I want to let you know it. And (laughs) I don't want to help you with that right now. And I don't want to be fully committed, you know, and it's, but it's, it's again, this reminder that the only way in any of our relationships, you know, even just to take it that way, yeah, is not possible without full commitments to God. That's exactly right, and and it's and I think it's it's not possible without God's commitment to us. Absolutely, <laughs> like yep. like we can't do this. The other thing I love about this this passage, this speech of Ruth, is that it seems to escalate um, step by step. So if you if you look at the the statements that she makes, um, she starts with the negative statement: "Do not urge me to leave you." But then she says, you know, where you go, I will go. It's like, okay, you know, that's like a literal following, right? Mm. But where you lodge, I will lodge. Oh, I'm going to live with you. Oh, and then your people shall be my people. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. So then now I'm going to take on your nationality. And then your God shall be my God. So now I'm taking on your, your faith. Where you die, I will die. What? Like, <laughs> like you're, you're going you're gonna to go to death with me, and there I will be buried. And then she calls on the name of the Lord to Absolutely. hold her accountable to all this stuff. And so I think you can even see her faith in the midst of this, but... But so much of this really is Christ. I mean, I mean, you, you could almost take this line for line mm-hmm. and apply it to how Christ has identified himself with us, you know, mm-hmm. where he said, you know, where you go, I will go. Well, I'm going to put on flesh and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come down with you and where you lodge, I will lodge. And I'm going to live among you, right? And yeah. your people shall be my people. Wow. And, and your God, my God, right? So like, so he, he comes to the to the Hebrews, where you die, I will die. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, like mm-hmm. he took on the most painful, excruciating death that anyone could ever mm-hmm. take on. And there I will, will I be buried, which he was. Mm-hmm. And may the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. I mean, what a promise yeah. that God says that, that, I mean, that reminds me, takes me right back to the end of Romans eight, where he says, you know, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities or you know, things to come mm-hmm. will separate me from the love of right. God, that there's nothing that will separate me from the love of God. And, and you spoke pre- briefly on Sunday about the suffering that Christ would endure on this earth. Mm-hmm. And that not, it wasn't, it, he didn't just come down and, and give up his heavenly place, but that he would suffer yeah. more than we would suffer. Yeah. And that we, I think what happened is I, I was, and I, I told you this a little bit before, but I was a little convicted by your message because what happens is I, I want to be all those things. 
mm-hmm. right? I want to I respond in this type of love to my friends and this type of love to my marriage and, and my wife, this type, type of love to all others, Yeah. right? But I can't do that. I have an inability <laughs> to do that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think what happens is what I... The example of Ruth turns into Christ, and the example of Christ is that I am, he is the one that fills me. He is the one that completes me, right? And anything I do out of response to Christ, it's because of him. And anything that I I find joy in suffering, it's because of him, right? And so I know that this is just kind of the obvious point, but the passionate point says that this is the the, the Christian life. The Christian Mm -hmm. life is not abiding in Ruth. And definitely not abiding in Chris or in Mitch or in Luke, but abiding in Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. Right. That that because of what He has done, I, I you know I'm I'm trying to memorize some verses, and so I've got one now, right now. So okay. Um, but it's 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 First Peter. I'm going to probably mess it up. Two twenty five, and it's by His wounds you are healed. It's by His wounds you are healed, not by Luke's actions, right, or even by my actions from what Christ. It's by Christ's wounds that I'm healed. And so that changes everything. Yeah. And there's this, there's this line uh, that we've been singing lately in the, the song called Christ Be Magnified, and it says this, that uh, death is just a doorway to resurrection life. And that if I die to myself, right, just dying to myself, understanding that Christ is the one that did this, mm-hmm. not me. i got to die to myself and rise again in Jesus. But um, mm-hmm. I just thought that was I'm, – I'm, I'm passionate about that because I have to remind myself that I'm not enough. Or I'll begin thinking that I am. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Every day. Or or in the smallest terms, I'll be certain that I can be Ruth at least. You yeah, know, come on. Yeah. I can do that. You know, yeah. but I can't. Um, there was this guy a few years ago at um, here at Stones who um, they this family, they used to go here and, and they moved up to the north side. He had a new job and stuff. Loved this family. It was so good. And he, he when he got baptized, um, he said this so well in his baptism video. I remember he said... Um, that most days he doesn't feel good enough. Mm. Um, but the days that he does, uh, that he does feel like he's good enough, that those are the scary days. Mm. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. All right. So to continue on with the passage, so again, for those who are listening, we're at vo- uh, v- voice, we're at verse 19. Um, mm-hmm. so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Yeah. You know, uh, the the first thing is I think verse twenty one is kind of the summary mm-hmm. of of what the what the whole chapter is about. You know, I went away full, she says. Mm-hmm. I, I I went away full, and so you see in that it's it's her doing. Um, she she is the one that left, but then it's the Lord that brought her back empty. Mm-hmm. And so, and there's a question in there that I mean. I, I didn't focus on it at all in the in the message, but but there's a really a question of does Naomi? I mean, maybe I want to know what you guys think too. Mm-hmm. Does Naomi really have this right? Does does she um, just the concept of God's sovereignty over the over the the 
the really tough and painful circumstances that she's going through, she, she, she seems to believe that, you know, mm-hmm. the almighty has dealt bitterly with me. The Lord has testified against me and brought this calamity on me. So she mm-hmm. has this, this picture of God's sovereignty. Does she have it right there? Yeah. Uh, I would say, I would say that she does. Mm-hmm. I would say that she does. I think that, um, we're kidding ourselves that if we, we step into the Christian life that, all right, now that, we, now that we're in, now I've got my badge, right, that God's just going to bring all these good things upon me. And, the, and, and I think <laughs> yeah. the, the only thing that saves us from always thinking that, Chris, is our reality, right? Is our reality of death, our reality of sin, our re- a reality of struggle, our reality of losing our home, our reality of losing our job, or right? So, like, I think we always just we, our, our our common thing is to say like, well, we, we just got dealt a bad hand, mm-hmm. or we just um, you know this is our current circumstance. But the truth is, and I remember you talking about this in your message just a little bit, where it's like what, sometimes bad things will happen, and we do need to move homes. We do need to, sometimes like in in their example, they 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 end up going back, but. Sometimes the Lord is just deal is is working in us. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the Lord is using our circumstance to show us Himself, mm-hmm. right? And so I think the two things that I really walked away with your message was one, the application points. I can only do one at a time, which I told you that we'll get to that. <laughs> but the other one is this: it's that if we're only looking to God, waiting for all the good, big blessings that He's going to bring upon our lives because we committed ourselves to Him, yeah. then. Any time that we go through a struggle or a tough time, or we're just going to be praying, God, get us out of the tough, get us out of the tough. But what, what Naomi said uh, in this specific, in, in, chat, in verse 21 is this, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. She, she has a, a, a God-centered focus because w- what she could have said is, I messed it up. Mm-hmm. Here I am. Now I had a, some bad circumstances, but here I am. I'm going to try to... No, but she humbly walks back and changes her name and yeah. says, the Lord has brought me back to this place, mm-hmm. right? I think so often it's it's commonplace for us to find ourselves in circumstances and not look to say, what's the Lord teaching me here? Yeah. What is the Lord doing in my life here, right? We're just like, how do we get out of this circumstance? I, I think what's what's hard here to realize is that, you know, even though we have this passage above where, you know, and it's funny too, there's no real mention, which maybe you wouldn't mention your uh, Moabite daughter, (laughs) you know, right away, but it's like, there's no mention of Ruth and her commitment. It's such a quick jump back to the pain that she's experiencing in her life. It's a focus on the emptiness rather than, you know, what are the blessings that are, that are still prevalent or that you're walking back to a land that is now about to have a harvest that was in famine. Yeah, you know, it's there's this there's this there's this kind of disconnect from where they're at. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's so raw. I mm-hmm. mean, if if you put yourself in the story or picture this like a movie in some way, yeah. I mean, they're just getting back to this mm-hmm. hometown that Naomi had left ten years ago, and I'm sure that this brings back this rush of of feelings and emotions mm-hmm. of oh yeah, and you know, and I'm like, where did they live? Did they go back to the same? plot of land? Mm. Do they still have that land? Like yeah. wh- where were they living? Um, how was this all affecting them? And, and so like to kind of go back to the question, you know, for me, I, I, I agree. I think that she's got a little bit of a skewed perspective where she's, she's hurt. She's broken because of all this emotion that's going on. I think at the same time, um, she's, she's 
she's identifying God's sovereignty in the yeah, midst of this, absolutely. which I think so it's, is it's right. A, it's a both sides. It's yeah. really interesting. Um, but I think it's also important to note that God is not the author of evil. Like, right. and 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 mm-hmm. I think Scripture supports that. That God is not the one that creates fresh evil mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. ca- or causes um, you know uh, disaster and calamity. Um, the the issue is is that uh, I, I think we have to look at it like this. That God is sovereign, um, and that God, if we believe that He is um, uh, omnipotent, in other words, that He's all powerful, then that means that if that God has the ability and the authority to do whatever He pleases, mm-hmm. and so if something bad happens, God is not the one that's causing it to happen, but He's also not preventing right. it from happening. It, yeah, I always, okay? I always say, if something happened. It happened. Yeah, that, I know, that sounds like a silly saying, but it. Yeah, it, and so what that means is, I think a, a good word that we could use is is the word ordained, like like mm-hmm. that that this calamity was then ordained by God, because uh, for a good purpose down the road. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this when we studied Romans eight mm-hmm. uh, a few months back, but but that there's a good purpose behind that, and and you know what, when we get to chapter four, we definitely see the good purpose yeah. in the midst of this. So. And, and I, I think, I think for those of you that are listening, I, 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 I wrestle with this question a lot because, you know, God of course isn't ordaining like, like evil, right? But God is over all things. Mm-hmm. So once again, it's satisfying as a believer to know that God is over all things. Mm-hmm. And if right. God is over all things, he's faithful in the blessings and he's faithful in the things that you would call a curse. He's faithful <laughs> in the things that you would say are horrible. He's faithful mm-hmm. in the times when you are going through pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. And so if that's true and he is not, if, some, I was, if something happened, it happened. So if something happens, it happens. That means the Lord is going to use it in a way, right, to either grow you in the week or bless you in, 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 in times where you can, you can even be a blessing to other people. The, the point I'm saying is like, it's just as true as Jesus is the better Ruth. Well, God, God is also over all things that happen to us. And yeah. so we can put our hope in him, uh, even in struggle. And I think, you know, I talked to somebody yesterday and they told me, they said, when in your sermon, they said that the one verse that they felt the most um, identified with mm-hmm was this, God, the Lord brought me back empty. Mm. And I think that's a, that's, you know, we can read this passage, and I think there's different parts in this passage that depending upon where we're at right now in our journey um, in life, that we're going to identify with different aspects of it, you know? And yeah. it's like, but the you, you may be in a state of emptiness. Yeah. Um, know that there's more story, <laughs> you know, that there's more for you and the the Lord is working something out. That's right. That's good. <laughs> you know, this, this bigger picture, you know, that you're coming back towards, but the Lord's still the one that's working that out for you. That's right. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the picture that we need to have about God being over all these things is that the Lord is in control and, and we know his purpose and we know what he's working towards. And we can trust him in that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We so, can trust him in famine and we can trust him in harvest. So, so, yes. Yeah. Uh, serious question. Our, our, our natural incl- uh, inclination is going to look for the summer, right? It's going to look for the good times. Good When's it going to change? When's mm-hmm. it going to get better, right? I did this my entire high school career. Uh, the fall semester started, when's fall break? Then fall break's over, when's uh, Thanksgiving? When then, when's Thanksgiving? Okay, well, when's uh, you know, winter break? Well, when's winter break? Okay, when's spring break? Well, when's summer? I'm always, I was always like, how can I get out of this, this 
you know, busyness, or, you know, there's harder things in life. Should we always look for the summer? Because my, my personal inclination is to always say, okay, when's it going to get better? Right. But how do we, how do we actually understand that God does want to use us in the muck and mire too sometimes? Yeah. Right. Is that seriously like, how do you do that? What's one practical way that we can actually try to do that? Because I want to get better at that. Mm. So, so um, I think this leads us really well into kind of your application from your sermon, just talking about these three different areas of life. Cause I think this is actively what you're doing Yeah, is it's, it's um, transforming how you identify with the suffering, with the pain and where is God at? Um, what is your view of how the gospel engages with the world that we're in? Right. Um, it engages with your everyday life. I, I loved the prayer you said at the end where you said, um, let us, what do you said? Like, let us be in people with, that are in step with the gospel this week. Yeah. Um, not saying like, let us be people that put it on and try mm-hmm. hard. It's like, no, it's like, let's walk with the gospel truth mm-hmm. in our life this week. Yeah. And so, so practically Luke, I think it's, it's re-envisioning the way that you think about suffering. Amen. Um, and that's, that's incredibly hard, but I think it's, I think it's understanding that God is at work in the suffering. Um, yeah, that I he's mean, growing you, that you're, that he's everything. It, God's at work in the harvest. As I said, God's at work in the suffering and and we must re-identify those things in our lives. And then our entire life becomes through the lens of That's how right. the gospel has transformed That's us. Right. So it's every I, I know you're wanting like a specific thing, but it's like, man, it's like pick a thing and we could we could say, okay, this isn't your like five steps how to do this with the gospel lens, but it's just a reminder of how the world we find ourselves in. Yeah. Um I mean, even just thinking about judges, you know, okay, they did everything that they thought was right in their own eyes. It's like, man. Turn on the news. What do you think the world looks like <laughs> That's sometimes? What our world it's, is all the time. We think this is right and we think they're wrong. We think, you know, we're doing the right thing, they're doing the wrong thing. Did you see what he said? Look at what we said. This is what we stand for. This is what you stood for. And it's like everybody has their own. I mean, even just talking about the cultural side of it, you know, this just individualistic side of, all right, you know, everybody, you know, everybody do you, you know, do you, boo boo, yeah. like do your own thing yeah. and be your own person. And it's like, now we're in this spot where it's like, okay, how does the gospel speak into engaging mm-hmm. in a world like that? Well, it's full commitment to God, not to the, not just to the promises of this world. Right. It's not chasing the harvest. Yeah, you know, it, it makes me start to think about how we how we just look at other people mm-hmm. um, that are maybe in different. Let's just take economic circumstances than we are. You know, for the most part, our churches we're in an, a fairly affluent middle class American situation. Um, and I think it's really easy for us to look at someone who maybe is, um, who doesn't have as much money, maybe even someone who's homeless and to, uh, to judge them Mm -hmm. a certain way, you know? Um, but it's, but I think by doing so it's, it's, it's removing the idea of God's sovereignty out of the picture. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's going to them and it's basically saying, you know, I think that I'm better than you because I have more money, or I think mm-hmm. that I'm better than you because I've I've made better choices. When it just doesn't recognize that it, what Scripture says that mm-hmm. God is the one that um, that blesses us with mm-hmm. those things yeah. and doesn't bless in other for other people, and and that all of that is for His good purpose. Mm-hmm. And so, ultimately, and this kind of goes back to I don't know if you guys remember the Ecclesiastes series we did. Like Scott talked about this a number of times during that series, but. But like, just to be satisfied with the things that God has given you, mm-hmm. um, and to enjoy the gifts that He's given you on a daily basis, mm-hmm. just to do that, um, 
man, you can have so much more peace in life with, with that because it's it, it's recognizing God's God is sovereign over all yeah, of those things, yeah. and I think that's what Naomi's doing yeah. here as well. And, and I appreciate that, guys. That's, that's that's really that's really what I was trying to get to is like yeah. what what the, what this story that we read today and, and what Chris got to preach on on Sunday what that what it leads us to is an understanding of of, of you know of what Christ has done for us ultimately, yeah. and how do we how, how do we live in that new reality, mm-hmm. and that new gospel reality that we walk in step with the gospel every week as Chris prayed, mm-hmm. it changes the way we look at things. Yeah. It changes our perspective, and I yes. think when a community of believers begins to do that at the same time, yeah, it, it changes everything for us. Yeah, um, I think I think worldview is a huge world word here. You know, again, and worldview is just the way. Simply put, it's the way that you see the world, um, mm-hmm. and every person has it. Now, every person may have a different one, and it may be established based off of religious principles or their faith or their childhood or their parents or culture may form their worldview. But every person has a way that they see the world, yeah. and then the way that they see the world is the way that they interact in their relationships. What are they trying to accomplish? What are they trying to obtain? Um, how are they going to raise their children? I mean, it affects everything mm. that they do. And so we're all operating with these different worldviews. Well, when you talk about the gospel transforms how we identify with others in blank, what I think you're really talking about is having a gospel worldview. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so you say, you know, the gospel transforms our social life. Mm-hmm. Well, again, it's like, okay, who are we interacting with? Yeah. You know, how are we how are we engaging with the least of these in our world? Yeah. How are we loving our neighbor? Just look at biblical passages and say, how does it transform that? And I think this is very biblical, actually. There's a great passage um, in Galatians chapter 2 where um, there's a situation here where uh, Paul has to go to Peter because Peter is um, – he, he was eating with, with some Christians who were not circumcised and then some other circumcised Christians came in and they're like, what are you doing? And mm. so he withdrew from the situation and stuff like that. But Paul ends up uh, approaching Peter and this is what he says. This is um, Galatians 2.14. He says, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, mm-hmm. I said to Cephas and then he, he like rebuked him. Now – what I love about that is because typically we, we think that the gospel is simply just this message that brings us to salvation. Right. But what Paul is saying here is that the gospel is what shapes our worldview and helps us. It's yeah. basically the framework for how we should live. You actively need it. Actively all the mm-hmm. time. You need to come back to it and live by it. And, and, so, and, and, and with that, I remember the Good Life series when Scott spoke about the Good Life. Well, the Good Life, he's just using the word good in front of life. <laughs> what the, what, but the good life actually is the Christian life, but doesn't mean it always in the world's terms is going to be look good, yeah. right? And yeah. take this stories as an example. The Lord's brought me back empty, but the, the, the truth is the Lord's brought me back. And for for us, and I just think this is encouraging from one brother to one sister and whoever's listening to this, is that we don't have it figured out, yeah. but we know that this is the good life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that we, we, we know that we want to strive as a church, a Stones Crossing church, we want to strive in the same direction and understand that the good life, the Christian life, although we might walk through pain and suffering and joys and blessings and all these things, it's the good life. Yeah. And this is so worth it. It's better than any worldview, like Mitch mm-hmm. says. It's, any, it's, it's, it, it's better than walking in step with yourself or your marriage or your career. Yeah, it's it's just better, and I'm I'm thankful for that. Yeah, absolutely. So the gospel transforms our social life. Um, you went in to talk about how the gospel transforms our marriage. Yeah, um, which again, I just think of the sacrifice of you know Christ for me, 
um, the picture of laying down one's life for someone else, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in marriage, it's just, it's, that is, that is not the way that our culture sees marriage. I mean, again, just look at, look at the, it's about two people trying to accomplish their unique ideal together, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and if you aid me in what I want to accomplish, then we're good. If not, well, let's parse it out. Yeah. Or maybe you did help me accomplish what I wanted, which was children. And now let's parse it out. Well, it's very selfish mm-hmm. at that point. You know, it's just seeking, seeking what you want out of the relationship. And I think oftentimes we get into marriages for that reason. Um, our, our, our culture likes to jump into things like that Absolutely. For just over and over again. I would say, I mean, even Christians, I, I think jump into marriage relationships because, uh, you know, for very selfish reasons, mm-hmm. I think, Marriages, though, when we when we work on it this way, sanctify us, change us. They help us to grow in that, you know, and get better at that. Um, but it's but it's always a work in progress, and I, I feel like we just never fully get there either. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, Absolutely, yeah. And and then third, you talk about the world. Um, and Chris, yeah. I thought this was really powerful stuff. I, I mean, I just I have just appreciated a lot of what you said, um, just with the current state of what's going on in our culture mm-hmm. and how the gospel message can speak to this. Um, and, and for me, I was, I was just having a conversation with my sister last night and we were just talking about everything that's going on. And she's like, I'm just confused how to engage. Like what, what am I, how, how am I supposed to see everything? You know, I hear one person say this and I know them and trust them really well. And then someone else says something about this side and this viewpoint, and I really trust them. And what do I, what do I do? And, you know, I just keep coming back to the way that, you know what, like the gospel has something to say in the season that we're in. Um, that yeah. the truth of the gospel for us right now in this season um, is active and alive as it always has been. And, and without that perspective, without Christ, um, there is no fixing it. Mm. I, I mean, I'm not someone that like, I'm usually like, there's a, there's an easy way to fix a lot of things. <laughs> this one, I'm like, man, everything is so polarized. Everything is so self-centered. Everybody thinks they have it right. Yeah. Well, the gospel is that you don't, that you've sinned that you have a part to play in the problem that exists in the world. Yeah. And the only way to fix that is Christ. And the only time that we'll see full unity in our world is heaven. Yeah. So while we seek the kingdom here now, we long for the day that there's justice. Man, and it's like, that's the worldview world <laughs> that I have when I see what's going yeah. on around me. Yeah. Oh, so only by the power of Christ. And I, and I think like your sister, I can, I can definitely sympathize with her. Um, I've heard a lot in Christian circles that, um, well, the wor- the way that the world is going and, and the way- all these different talking heads and voices, uh, I just don't there. I just don't have a response. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know what to say, or like um, I don't you know I don't want to say something that's offensive, right? Mm-hmm. So I've seen a lot of like in, in just like normal Christian lives. Yeah. It's like oh well, it's the the world is so busy and so many chats and so, and so many talking heads and so many different ideals. And I just kind of am stepping out and I, I can't really say anything. Cause if I say this, well, the truth is this is our time to respond. Mm-hmm. This right now is the church's time to respond to injustice. Yeah. We have a voice mm-hmm. and we need to use that voice for the kingdom's sake. Right. Yeah. We need to use that saying, this is a, what a time to share the gospel. What a time to, to love people who aren't being loved. What a time to extend grace to those you might disagree with. Mm-hmm. We have a lot to say. 
And I'm not saying just begin, you know, yeah. jumping on, but like the gospel calls us to respond, right? Yeah. And, and I think what Chris said, you, you gave some really good practical steps around being disingenuine, you know, being genuine in your response, how you engage in the culture of, you know, this kind of this black versus white situation we find ourselves in. Um, I mean, you've got mask, non-mask debate. You've yeah. got, you got yeah. these total polarizing issues, and how do we engage in those issues? And I just want to um, petition for you to make your first um, thought, your first step in this process of deciding what your response is, is how do I see this through a gospel lens? Right. How do I see that the gospel transforms the way that I view this situation? Not just my experience, not just my um, what works best for me, but how does God speak into the world that we find ourselves in? Um, and as Luke said, that is your response. You know, it do, sometimes it doesn't have to get it doesn't have to get past the how do we fix it sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's like recognizing that there's a problem there and longing for a day where yeah, and, and, and I think it's more. identifying too that that problem does like you said exist within yeah. ourselves as mm-hmm. well, and I, I recognize that in myself as well. Like mm-hmm. I, I I don't have this all figured out or right, you know. Um, my my wife actually has a much better finger on the pulse of what's happening with all this stuff than I do, but I do know. That um, that at the end of the day, I know that that we can't fix this problem. That we definitely it needs to be Christ through mm-hmm. the power of the gospel, yep. and that um, that each of us have uh, a way that we contribute to this problem, mm-hmm. and that we need to then allow the gospel to transform us first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And and if we don't do that. Um, then we just become another talking head, yeah, you know. Yeah. At exactly. the end of the exactly. day, exactly, exactly. So, well, fellas, I love the dialogue. That was super fun, super <laughs> great, Mr. Calvert, Coach Cal. Thanks for having me, Luke, Pac. Thanks for being here, man. <laughs> yep, love it. Yep. Yeah, hey, man. Yeah. So, thanks, guys. Uh, Sunday recap. We'll be back next week. Yeah. Uh, chapter two, Ruth. Chapter two with with the um, the preacher himself. You <laughs> know, um, I just I just love the idea of you being able to sit here and talk more about the things that you didn't uh, get to talk about. It's so gratifying yeah. to share all the things that I didn't get to talk about. Oh, it's so. so good. So, thanks for listening to Sunday Recap. We'll see you again next week.